It's my 60th episode and the fall finale of my show here. And I brought you a guest that is for everyone next. You are tuned in to Black Hollywood Lives. Breaking into... Hello, welcome to another edition of Breaking Into here on Black Hollywood Live. I am your host, James Law Jr., of course. And like I said, it's my fall finale. We'll be back uh, January 3rd. That's Tuesday, and I'll have some exciting guests for that show, of course. And it's our 60th episode. I made it 60 episodes. I'm so proud of myself. Um, I love doing this show, and I love bringing it to you guys out there. Um, I have a guest that I'm so excited to have in my studio. He's somebody that I believe is beneficial for you all to meet. Yes, it is very beneficial. And I titled this episode, um, Breaking Into Criminal Rehab and Life Change. (laughs) Um, This gentleman literally went from mobster and gang life to being a rabbi and a life coach. Talk about a path, and I'm so excited. We're going to talk about how he got there and what's going on there. It's about the Midwest and Cleveland and Ohio. His book is called, this is a long time, which I get it all correct, a Daily Spiritual Path to Wholeness, Finding Recovery and Yourself in Torah. It is my honor to have this guest for my 60th episode, Rabbi Mark Warwitz. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's such an honor to be here. I, I'm, I'm excited. I didn't know that you were a homeboy, so yes. you know what I mean? <laughs> I am. I am. I'm missing some Bob Evans right now. Um, Bob Evans, best breakfast on earth. You know it's good. You know it's good. You know it's good. I miss it so much. You can follow us on YouTube and iTunes under Breaking Into and the Black Hollywood Live, and all my episodes are there, of course. And this one will be there too. Uh, yes. Okay. So you guys. So I want to tell people. A lot of people will say the bad neighborhoods, just all the best stuff is like the coasts, or they'll say Detroit, or they'll say Chicago. But there are. I mean, Ohio, Cleveland has a lot of racial tension in the past, and. There's oh, some real poor areas, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, um, well, what a lot of people don't know or remember is that Cleveland, uh, in, in Cleveland, the uh, Italian gangsters and the Jewish gangsters always got along. In fact, um, Meyer Lansky came to Cleveland to see the gambling op- operations that they were doing. They were doing them in Cleveland, and then they were doing them in Beverly Hills, Kentucky. Wow. I don't know if you uh, uh, don't know that, that one. <laughs> yeah, that's just over the river from yeah. Cincinnati. Yeah, Cincinnati, yeah. And um, so, you know, there was always and and um, there was always racial tension yes, there. Yes, a lot. Um, the sixties, fifties, sixties, seventies. There was all kind of stuff happening. Yeah, in fact, my father, you should rest in peace. Um, he bought a business in nineteen fifty nine, reconditioned drums. Oh wow! And. Um, Black men were making less than white men for the same work. That's amazing. Yeah. So my father, the first thing he did was raise the pay of the black men to be equal. They were doing the same yeah, job. Yeah, the same work. So, yeah. All the white guys quit. Oh. And not one white man ever worked for him in the six years he had the business. Wow. So it's more important that they made more money, or, or the... the the, what it means behind that for them, that they make more money than a black man. Right. Than, than have, have a job. And this was the North. This is in the north, you know. And we, listen, we went through the riots and yeah. and um, oh yeah. Um, but Cleveland was also a melting pot, mm-hmm. okay. And we, um, growing up, we never learned that um, somebody who was black or Latino or or Asian was less than us. And and that was a cornerstone of, of my home, and it was a cornerstone of, of, of the temple that I belonged to. It, it just, people are people. Mm-hmm. And, and um, 
later on, you know, I, uh, um, when I made my return to decent li- living, <laughs> yes. I, I read something from Rabbi Abram Joshua Heschel, and he said that prejudice is an eye disease, E-Y-E. Okay. And, and um, in my house, I mean, my father was a workman circle guy. He was a socialist. Uh, my mother and we just didn't know from it. Mm-hmm. We didn't. We we didn't know from that. We knew yeah. the tensions. Yeah, yeah. we yeah. saw what was going on. You know, in in the school, in the world, and in in the city. But the thing that that uh, um, and truthfully, until my father died, I didn't know we were poor. Yeah, I believe I can believe that. I believe that. So, um, and we always gave to charity. I mean, as a kid going to Hebrew school, I always had a dime or a quarter that I had to put in, in, in for, okay. for, for tzedakah, for charity. Yeah. And um, no matter what I wanted, mm-hmm. that, that 10 cents or that 25 cents was in another pocket throughout the day, and I couldn't touch it. Got it. I just knew I couldn't touch yeah, it yeah, because... Yeah. I had to know that somebody else needed something also. I kind of like that. So um, I grew up in that kind of a atmosphere, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, um, I changed. Yeah. We're going to talk about all that, of course. But but the yeah. atmosphere was yeah. one of... of um, the atmosphere I grew up in was one of solidarity, yeah. okay, of, of humanness, Um what I saw around me yeah. was prejudice and, and uh, um, one-upmanship. Yeah. And so going from the inside insular world of my family to the outside world of school and work and everything else, it was, it, it was really a split. Got it. Mm-hmm. And, and um, I never... It took me a long time to be able to um, to heal that split. Oh, got it. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. Because I also had that split inside me. Yeah, right. You know, from a kid, I never thought... Uh, um, I mean, I'm looking at you, okay, and I'm thinking to myself, even to this day, you got it together. You found the secret of living. You know how to do it. And I know inside, I'm still trying to figure it out. So there was always this inner and outer persona. And, and um, that split also was, was true for me. And it took me a long time to realize that both parts of, that both of those things are true. Yeah, oh yeah, I'm going to say, that's the whole thing. We have what we think may be inner turmoil. We're kind of creating it, but it's all of you. Right. It all informs who you are, period. Right, and you have inner turmoil. Yeah, of course, yeah. But I thought you'd never had inner turmoil. See, I was judging my inside by your outside. Uh, interesting, yeah. As we say in the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. Yeah, yeah. But you'll know what's going on inside, off camera, what's going on with me. I have no idea. Right. But think about how often, uh, um, how much of the world's strife is because somebody looks at somebody and decides they have something I want, so yes. I'm going to take it from I'm going to go get it etc I mean that's how I lived 20 years of my life yeah 20 years of my life was if you had it and I could take it it was mine oh my god 
like what a mentality that is. When you look back on it now, like what a mentality that is. It sickens me. I mean, like, it disgusts I'm sure. me. Yeah. Because you're thinking, what is that? Wait, excuse me? Like, how do you have the right to do this? To take from me that's mine if I worked hard for it? Or, or what you think I have? Like, I mean, right. it's mine. It's yours. Like, something it's yours. But that, taking. Because, of, because of the inner turmoil, that was my thought pattern. Yeah. Because of what I saw in the world, um, you know, growing up, if you had money, you were something. If you didn't have money, you were nothing. Yeah, I know that one too. Yeah. So my net worth and my self-worth were equal. Mm, interesting. Now, it wasn't my self-worth made my net worth okay, whatever I had. It was only if I had money could my inside and myself be okay. Interesting, and not all money is good money, folks. I no. learned that late. I learned it later. I say I learned it at forty. I left a job where I was making hundred thousand dollars a year, living in San Francisco, nice apartment, and my stomach hurt every single day for like a year. Right. Quit that job, stomach stopped hurting. Well, yeah, that's that's the thing. But you have to have the courage to follow yeah, your own conviction. That. Well, it took me a while to get there, but yeah, but I, I but, did it. Yeah. But a lot of people stay in what I call low grade misery because yes. they won't leave that hundred thousand dollar job. Nope. And. I understand. It's not like I'm putting them down or anything. No, I get it too. But you think about it. uh, um, How many people, James, live in this low-grade misery? How how are things? Not bad. Right. What's happening? Same shit, different day. I hate that. Somebody says to me, same shit, different day. I want to choke them now. (laughs) Yes. No, I know. I get it. Because we all think immediately the real bad lives or the real rich lives. But like you're saying, it's the, the, I, have, I have friends who have no ambition for anything, but they hate where they're at. But they kind of just move along. Well, it's not that they don't have any ambition. They don't have any hope. Well, that's it. There's that too, I guess, yes. See, because until you heal the split inside of you, until I can accept I am this guy, okay? I'm a guy that was a con man, a thief. I hung out with gangsters. I ran with with people in in the Italian mafia in Cleveland, Ohio. And until I could accept, yes, that was me. And at the same time, I took care of my sister. I helped my mother. I was a brother. I was a nephew. I was a cousin. I did good things then, too. Yes, but. Until I could. No, not but. It's and. Really? Okay. Think about this. As soon as you say but, yeah. you negate whatever came before the but. Oh, that's true. Okay. Yes. Okay. I go with that. Okay. So I was this and, and I was that. that. Okay. Yeah. But I lived it that because I did this stuff, none of this other stuff mattered. So I only made myself worse and got into more and more turmoil. Yeah. That makes sense. Okay. Makes sense. Now... I'm loud, I'm brash, <laughs> I get in people's face, I'm, I'm still a little bit of a tough guy. Yeah, yeah. doesn't go away. Of course it doesn't go away. I'm, I mean, you know, I tell everybody, you can take the boy out of the street, you can't take the street out of the That's boy. That's so true. Yes, it's very true. So sometimes people, even at, my reha- at the rehab that I work at, they get upset. They say, how can you talk like that? You know, I use four-letter uh, words. I do this, I yeah. do that. And I tell them, That's me, too. Right. Somebody one time said to me, you know, it's not very dignified uh, um, for you as a rabbi to do something. I said, please, don't ever use dignified and me in the same sentence. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yes. But it's still true. It's got to be an and. It can't be. I like that. I like that. The, the, we live in a world that's either or. That's true. 
Yes. Okay, this election was an either-or yeah, election. Right. When I see both and, when I see you're a guy, okay, who has a different experience than I do. Okay, the color of your skin makes it a different experience. The fact that you grew up on the wrong side of Cleveland, the west side, <laughs> makes it a different experience. We'll ignore that statement. And say, we'll cut that later. <laughs> what did that out? But yes, no, yeah. And you're a human being. Yeah. And you're a divine spark. And I can connect to you through our shared humanness. And that's the beauty. Right, but when you're living in either or world. Yeah, you can't do that. We can't connect. No, because you see me as a white guy right. uh, um, who lived in on the east side of Cleveland, lives in, in you know, on the west side of Los Angeles, and how would I ever understand what it's right. like to live in South Central or, or walk around with people looking at you because of the color of your skin and being wary of you and all those things. Now, it's true, I don't know all of that. Right. I do know the human part of it. Yeah, though. you do. Right, you do. And and so you see, when I'm living in either or, there's no way for us to bridge this gap. That's true. It's only when we both see the humanness of each other that we can find all of the similarities. We find there's a lot more similarities than there That's are differences. True. That's true. It's funny. I have uh, two two friends who are spoken word artists, and they're both biracial. One is uh, Polish and Mexican from Chicago. The other one is Jewish and black from L.A. And I do a piece called My White Dad. They both have white fathers. And throughout the piece, it starts out with the either or. This is like, I'm texting this right now as you said this. But throughout the piece, you find out they're like their dad. And the color actually means nothing. Their dad's a geek. He's a nerd. He's this. Oh my God, we're our dad. So it goes from white dad to just like dad. Right. So when I see you as human, I'm not taking away from uh, um, from your black heritage. Right. Oh, right. Okay. Not. I'm right. not taking away from a Christian heritage or a Polish or anything else. But when I see you as human, then what I want to do is I want to learn. I want to know more about the black experience. I want to know more about this experience. I want to know more about that experience. I want to share with you my experience as a Jew. I want to share with you my experience as a recovering person. I want to, I, I want to share and I want to know you. But if I see you as just black and different, then I'm like right. that. Exactly. I, I like that. When you were in, when you were with the Italian mobsters, what, and the gangsters, what did that back then you felt what were they giving you back then family that's what I was thinking right um, in a lot of ways um, I had family but they gave me acceptance most of all they were the most real people I knew interesting because what you saw was what you got which you can admire which you can totally admire in many ways right, right. I mean I love straight shooters a lot of people just like just you know they were bad guys right but they didn't hide it. They didn't try and make themselves into something that they weren't. And all the people I knew that I knew what they did wrong, but nobody would say it. You know, you can't. Shh, yeah. It's, right. You can't let the neighbors know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if one of them was sick, they were sick. In my neighborhood, if somebody was sick, God forbid they had can't, cancer. 
Oh, right, right. You couldn't even say it. Yeah. You know, the Irishman was a drunk, but Uncle Maury, he, he just fell asleep. He worked hard. I, re- I remember those days. I do remember that. Yes. Yeah, so you never really say what was going on. Right. So-and-so's eccentric, not that they have a mental disorder of some sort. Exactly. They're eccentric. So yeah. anytime you told truth, yeah. you were shunned. Yeah. I remember that kind of stuff. I remember that back then. I mean, I stood up for things, in, in you know, growing up in school. And, and when my father was alive, I had somebody backing me. And my mother, she when after my father died, she just was too busy. The truth is, she was working. Uh, my father's father was in one old home. My uh, mother's mother was in another old home. And I have a, a sister who's nine years younger. Okay, so she, your mom was busy. She had things to do. Right? She so, has to survive. She had things to do. Right, so I just had to take care of shit. Yeah. But I didn't have that backup. Got it. So here comes your buddies on the wrong side of the track, so to speak. Right, and I searched them out. I mean, you know, they didn't come pick me. I, I searched them out. And and um, I remember <clears throat> um, I had an uncle who got into some trouble. And from my father's uh, um, insurance, there was about $5,000 put away for me to go to college. Okay. And, um, and I'm talking 50 years ago. Yeah. And and what happened was, um, my uncle was going to go to jail unless he got the money. Another uncle of mine said, "Don't do it." And I looked at him and I said, "Would my father let his fa- let his brother go to jail for three thousand dollars or whatever yeah. it was?" And my other uncle looked at me and he says, "I hate when you use that logic." How funny! Had to do it. Right, I, I get it. I totally get it. I suffered. Right. But I totally get why you had to do it. Had to do it. Yeah. You know, so this idea of, of, of truth, I went so far away from it. I mean, I, I want you to understand, I, I went so far away from it as a con man and as, yeah. as a thief. Um, but growing up, truth was so important to me. And I lost it. I lost it because I was bereft at, at my father's death. I was alone. Mm. Your backup was gone. Yeah, the guy who knew my soul. Yeah, I get that. I totally get it. And I was searching for that. I was searching for so many different things. And I was angry. I was pissed off. Yeah. That fuels a lot of stuff. That fuels a lot of stuff. And and so I went on a run. I went on a 20-year run. What can, Are there things you can say or can't say about that time period? I was gonna say, what was, do you remember what, what some of the some of the things you some of the, like the some of the worst things you did? Well, or was it all just in general, just kind of bad stuff? So here, the worst thing I did was I took advantage of people. Okay, I would get you to like me, and then I'd steal from you. Oh, uh, okay, that is bad. I would get you to trust me, and I would rape your trust. Got it. The worst thing I did, my worst crime. It was in 1980, my daughter was born. Okay. And for the first eight, eight and a half years of her life, I was either drunk or in and out of jail or prison. Mm. The worst thing I did was abandon my daughter. The worst, thing, the worst thing is that she grew up being embarrassed about her father. Mm. And uh, um, my daughter's name's Heather. And, and she was embarrassed about her father and... And she couldn't trust. 
And for a kid, that's so terrible. Yes, completely, yes. It's the worst thing in the world. When I was in prison uh, the last time, in 1987, she was six and a half years old, she wrote me a letter. Dear Daddy, I hate you. You're a part of me, and when you're in jail, a part of me is in jail. How profound? How old was she? Six and a half. Wow, that's very profound. I didn't do anything to be in jail. Love, Heather. It must have cut you like a knife. Stabbed you a million times, didn't it? I, I, I cried. I'm sure. I was sitting in makes my... Makes me tear. I just listen to the story. Makes me like, oh, my I, God. I was sitting in my jail cell, and I just started to howl. Yeah. And uh, she was right. Right. I mean, I'd already started this path to recovery. Uh, but I knew she was right. And as you can tell, it made a big impression on me. Yeah. I mean, these are the exact words I know because yeah. she's she's been in, in, in the audience when I've told the story. Okay. And she's saying the words as I'm saying them. Uh, yeah. And people look at her and, and she says... Those are the exact words. That's such a profound statement for somebody that young. Yeah, well, my daughter's brilliant. God. That's one thing that's good, isn't it? Yep. All this. But that that's the worst crime I did. You know, it's funny. I you know, I, I have two daughters and I have grandchildren and stuff. And I, I tell you, when I, when I used to have to leave my daughter to go out of town and do something, I couldn't I felt bad because I had to work. Right. And I couldn't be there for certain things. I can only your thing is you're more to the tenth degree. Of just like when you go into prison, it's like it's a whole other thing. It's like it's different than just I can still call, I can still go see my daughter. I can still you had to, you couldn't do anything, nothing. Wow, it's so weird. This is interesting. How do you survive in prison? I mean, how? What is? I mean, how do you just you just like you just found ways to survive? Yeah, you know, I mean, I was a clerk. I, <laughs> the truth is, if you carried well in those years, yeah, if you carried yourself well, and you didn't look for trouble, you were fine most time. You didn't, you didn't get into any trouble. Wow, this is amazing. Um, it wasn't gladiator school at that time. <laughs> in fact, that's one of the things some of us old guys were talking about, even in 88, yeah. 87, 88. We said, man, we can't come back to the joint. There's too many youngsters here. <laughs> I know. It's too much. Yes, exactly. I'm sure. Um, okay, so what was, the, what was the point that turned you around and said, I gotta get recovery, and I just gotta. We'll start there first. We'll get to the rabbi stuff in a second. We'll get to that first. So, in 1986, I was on the run, and um, I was still living in the valley here. I was walking across. Um, I was crossing the street, Victory. Oh yeah, Victory yes. At Fulton. Oh, okay. I know that is actually. It was. Uh, um, I think it was a Wednesday or a Thursday, and. I was on my way to Las Vegas to bet a 10-team football parlay. I was a good handicapper in those okay, days. Okay, okay. And I was I was going to pay off the bad checks I had. Okay. Just stop. I was, I was done. Yeah. I'm walking across the street. A white Ford Fairmount turns the corner. I don't think anything of it. Detective Jim Bashira from the LAPD okay. had arrested me. This is December of 1986 had arrested me in January of 1981. Oh, wow. He remembered me. Oh, my God. He had seen a wanted poster on me in November of 1986. Oh, my God. It all clicked. He stopped the car, called out my name. I was arrested. So I called my first wife because I had a couple grand on me. (laughs) 
And she said, what bondsman do you want me to call? I said, don't call anybody. The man upstairs is trying to tell me something, and I have yes. to sit here until I can figure it out. Oh, divine intervention completely. I have no idea where those words came from. Oh, you did? Oh, okay. It was not only, it was not only divine intervention with, with Detective Bashira. That thought was an ecstatic experience. Wow. I hadn't been thinking about that. I hadn't been thinking wow. about God. Nothing. Yeah. And so I called my brother, who's been a rabbi since 1975. Okay. And I said, send me a Torah and, and a prayer book. And he didn't. I started to, I started to immerse myself in the yeah. text. I didn't just read it. I immersed myself. Yeah. I immersed myself in prayer. And in, you know, I started at the beginning in Genesis. So in the third chapter of Genesis, God says to, to Adam and Eve, Ayeka in Hebrew, where are you? What's Adam saying? I'm hiding. Yeah. And I started to cry because I, I just had this overwhelming experience. As I'm telling you now, I still have it. Of how many times God's called, and I've hidden. Mm. And at that moment, I saw how I had hid for over twenty years. Wow. And it was like I, I just—I could only cry. Right, right, no, right. I, I get that completely. Yeah. And then I started, and I started to to read the Torah. And there was a rabbi in prison. I started to study with them. The whole idea of tshuva in Hebrew is repentance, return, and new response. Okay. So in the Jewish tradition, the gates of repentance, return, and, and new response are open all the time. Okay. You're never so bad that you can't, you can't come back. Right. In fact, the Jewish tradition says that uh, tshuva, uh, this concept was put into the world before the world was created. I add because God knew we'd screw up and need a way back. <laughs> I believe it, yes. <laughs> so you see the whole myth of yeah. perfection. Yeah. And as I'm reading the the first five books in the Hebrew and the rest of the Hebrew Bible, one thing's about the Hebrew Bible, we have no perfect heroes. Yeah. Every one of our heroes flawed. Flawed. Yeah. And here I am thinking that perfection is the goal and I realize what am I wow. doing? There's no perfection. There's no such thing. Right. Now, Christianity, of course, has Jesus. Yeah. Jesus was perfect. <laughs> right. Well, you got a tough... You, you know, Christians have a tough... Yes, yes, we do. A tough right. act to follow. Right. Me, my guy is Moses, Abraham. You know, Abraham, we call him Abraham Abinu, Abraham, yeah. our father. So, Pop pimps mom twice. Yes. <laughs> throws one kid out and almost kills the other one. <laughs> And he was a great man too. Both yeah. are true. Yeah. See that both and. No, you got no, you already got me already. My language is changing already. I like that with the and. Right? Sorry, I'm already thinking that way already. You know, Jacob and I mean all the heroes yeah. of the what what some people call the Old yeah. Testament, what I call the Hebrew Bible. Yes. Um they're all flawed. Yeah. I mean, think about the prophets. The prophets. Right. Prophets go to they have such uh, um they have such a fire in them. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I would say, yeah, they do, yeah. Think about this. Mm -hmm. They went to Donald Trump or Barack Obama or, or, or George W. Bush, name anybody, and they said, you can't act the way you're acting. 
God says you are wrong and you can't do it. The amazing thing is that we have their words because they should have been killed. But even the kings, even the kings in ancient Israel knew that they had to listen. We don't have that today. For me, the last two prophets that we've had in America were Martin Luther King Jr. and Abraham jo- Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel. Both of them stood up and said no. In fact, Rabbi Heschel says that the prophet was somebody who could hold humans, mankind, and God in one hand in one moment, in one thought, and that they had a powerful dissent painful rebuke, a deep love, an unwavering hope. That's what we have to recapture today. That's what recovery forces us into. See, being in recovery means that I have to have a painful rebuke. If you're doing something wrong, it hurts me to tell you, and I have to. And when you tell me what I'm doing wrong, I'm grateful. You know why I'm grateful? See, everybody takes criticism so, oh, who are you to take my inventory or do this? You know what happens? You have such deep belief in me and such a deep faith in me that I can change that you're telling me what I need to change. Yeah. That's a gift. Right. Right. I agree with that. That's not a put down. Yeah. It's a gift. And unwavering hope. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. It's not... It, all of these are states of being. Right. And people today are not living in these fundamental states of being, of justice, yeah. of truth, of love, of kindness, of compassion, of hope. That's what recovery brings. That's what the recovery community has to bring to the entire population of America. But instead, we're shunted off, you know, oh, those people. I mean, even people in recovery are are, are pushed away. Yeah. I always believe that uh, education of any form is empowerment. And it's hope giving. It's like you get hope. But yeah, when you have education, when you learn something, you read this book or read or you learn something, it empowers you. If you're not learning, you're dying. I agree. And education doesn't, doesn't stop either. If it stops, then you should be dead, right? I'm like, I'm going to keep learning until I'm, until I'm 100 or whatever, however long I live. The day I stop learning is the day that when I, if I stop learning and I'm still breathing, all I'm doing is existing. I'm not living. Exactly. I agree. And we have a group of people in the world who know everything. You're kind of right. So Rabbi Heschel, in an interview in 1972, said, I'll show you a person who has no problems, a person who has all the answers, a person who's satisfied. It's this fictitious person. He's an idiot. Because the deeper our problems, the deeper our challenges, the deeper our humanity, and the deeper our connection to each other and to God. That's what recovery brings. That's what this book is about. That's what my life has been about. And that's, well, this second life of mine, I should say. Okay, okay, yeah. And, and, and that's what we're missing. See, nobody's talking about this because everybody's afraid of it. They're afraid yeah. to see truth. 
Well, be seeing truth is scary for a lot of people. To actually, I always people the hardest. Yeah, you know, I'm a life coach, and I, you know, I encourage and invite my clients to, you know, do exercises, look within themselves, and that's the hardest thing to look within yourself truthfully, and to see it, and accept it. Are really you can, I can I can look at you and say, oh, well, you did this, that's your truth, blah, blah blah. But to look at yourself and go, wow, when I used to do these things. That is a part of me, and I did them. It's hard to do that for people. Well, because uh, um, we're taught not to. Right. See, and Jewish, the Jewish uh, um, principles, not that they're taught necessarily either, okay? I'm not saying that we're doing it. But the principle is that I have to look at my, I have to do tshuva one day before I die. Mm -hmm. And since none of us know the day of our death, we have to do this. Chuva every day. The only yes. way that Chuva starts, according to Maimonides, the famous uh, um, 10th century scholar, Chuva starts with a cheshbon and nefesh in Hebrew. It means an accounting of my soul. I have to take. I have to make an accounting, mm-hmm. which means I have to do assets and liabilities. I have to see all of yeah. me. Yeah. And I have to see where I where, where I missed the mark. And where I hit the bullseye. Right. Where I missed the mark, I have to see how somebody was impacted. Oh, yeah, that's you, yeah. So, like with my daughter, the impact of my actions on my daughter was that she didn't, she wasn't able to trust. The impact was abandonment. Now, if I don't look at that, how can I ever make a proper amends or a proper chuva? I can't have a proper, I can't have proper restitution, nor can I restore her dignity back to her. Because ultimately, any time we hurt another person, whatever we do, we're robbing them of their dignity. It goes back to what we were talking about. It doesn't matter black, white, right. LGBT, what heterosexual, yeah. none of it matters. The Jewish tradition teaches that your soul is worth an entire world. We say whoever destroys an, uh, a single soul, they destroy an entire world. Whoever saves a single soul, they save an entire world. Well, there's a lot of people that aren't committing murder, okay, physical murder, but there's a lot of people that are destroying the souls of other people. I agree with that. And they're destroying worlds. You're a precious gem. I'm a precious gem. If I don't treat you in that manner, you have infinite worth, infinite dignity. And according to to my tradition, you have uniqueness. There's nobody else like you. So I have to honor that. I have to respect it. I have to help you grow it. And you, me. Right, right. Otherwise, there's no humanity. Right, I agree. I have a, a philosophy on the show is that we uh, share knowledge, pay it forward, and lift each other up. That's my, that's my motto. Those three things to me are so important. We should be doing for each other on an everyday level, just like this we should be doing. That's foundational. Right. You have no world without that as a foundation. I, I, I mean, I'm in complete agreement. See, but it's not just important. It's imperative. It's, it's you know, you can't have a house if you don't have a foundation. Right. You can't have a life if you don't have a foundation. And if, and if what you're talking about isn't the foundation for everybody's life, that's why it blows over so easily. That's why there's so much anger and, 
and hatred and, and finger pointing. Because if I can blame you, I can absolve myself. It's a lie. Right. No, right. I know. I mean, uh, um, at my high holiday sermons, there were about um, something that Rabbi Heschel taught in this interview. Self-deception is a major disease. Mm, I like that. And I one like of the that. greatest... I, mean, I don't like it, but I, mean, I, like, I like that thought, yes. And one of the greatest desires of humans is to be deceived. Very profound. Right, very true. So recovery is about no more deception. Right. Well, recovery is about looking inward. Right. Where everything, we're taught to look outward for everything. Look over here. Look at that. Uh, you did this. They did this. This, this. It's like, well, like, I, here's something I learned, something that I learned over the years. Um, well, becoming a life coach, I actually went to school. And one of the things before, the first chapter was coaching from center. So we had to get to center first, get to know who we are first before we even do any lessons on coaching anybody else. I loved it. It was so transformational for me. I loved it. And one of the things that my language, some of my language changing, um, you were here in L.A., Lots of traffic, oh, traffic everywhere. I used to always say I hate traffic. I'm so over the traffic. Until I was, t- I was told by a teacher, well, you're a part of the traffic. Right. You're also in the car going on the 101 or the 134. You're a part of the traffic. You are traffic. And it's funny how you think little things like that, they seemingly seem like these little obvious things. But when they're said to you and you don't really realize it, Wow, what a learning curve that was for me. I was like, oh, you're right. I never complain much anymore about it. Because I'm just like, well, I'm here too at, at 5.30 afternoon like everybody else trying to get somewhere. That, that's beautiful because as you're saying it, <laughs> I'm thinking about this uh, um, This book. It's, it's, um, it's one of the wisdom books uh, from the wisdom tradition of Judaism. It's called um, uh, Path of the Just. In Hebrew, it's Mishil Shasharim. Or path, the, the the way of the the right way you could mm-hmm. say. And it's uh, Rabbi Moshe Chaim Luzado. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's so crazy what you said. It says in the introduction, I'm not going to tell you anything you don't know. See, there you go. What I'm going to remind you about is our truths that everybody accepts and we take so much for granted that we don't pay attention to it. So if you just read it once, if you're just going to read this book once, don't do it. Oh, funny, right? So think about it. Think about how many times during the day you come back to center. Mm-hmm. Think of how many times during the day are you smack in the face or smacked in the face yeah. with a truth that... You know, and we just become oblivious to. You do. It's just, it's just kind of crazy. You do. Right. So, so one of the things about recovery, one of the things about life coach, one of the things about, and, and by the way, when I use recovery, I'm not talking about just drugs yeah, yeah, and alcohol. Right, right. I'm talking about recovery from, from the human condition of deception. I like that. Yes. Okay. So, or what we're recovering is our humanity. Yeah. Every day I have to do it. Right. It's not just done. Okay, I'm done. I'm cured. I'm done. It's not like that. Right. All. But you see, that's what everybody wants. One right. and done. What's the quick fix? Yes. That's, just not, that's not how it works. Can't. Mm-hmm. I tried it for years. I've tried it before, too. doesn't work. Right. 
it really doesn't work. But people are not willing to, to accept this, this truth. That's the problem. Yeah, I agree with that. See, that's, that's what you and I are railing against. That's what mm -hmm. uh, um, a guy like Dr. Drew. Mm -hmm. Okay, I mean, Dr. Drew has done so much to help people see truth. Yes. And most people don't want to listen. They don't. And, and, you know, as a guy that's, like, out there and everything, I get vilified a lot because okay. of my style. Right. Okay? And, you know... I'm all, screw the packaging, listen to the... Like, like, don't blame the messenger. Screw the packaging, look at what he's saying, listen to what he's saying. Right. That's how I look at it as. And, and that's how I look at it. Yeah. You can, look like whatever, you can look like whatever, but if you have a message in there that really is a good message, it's profound, I will listen. Not only that, but I live it. Right. Okay? I mean, I don't live it according to the way you think I should. Right. But I live it. So I, I can tell from you, if somebody called you at 2 o'clock in the morning, they needed help, you'd show up. Oh, that's me. Yeah. Right? I show up. Yeah. So you want to know something? Screw the packaging. Yeah. Look at the action. Yes. And, and the problem is people are not willing to look at the actions of other people. They're only willing to listen to the words. And that's why there's such deception. It happens in the media. It happens in print. It happens all over. Okay? I, I finally understand why you can't cheat an honest man. Right. Yeah, right. Exactly. Right. Because an honest man is not going to believe falsehood. Nope. And you think about it when I know... I know when, when, when it pings like crystal and thuds like lead. I like that. Mm -hmm. and, and my whole life is about getting the crystal. Now I need a lot of help. And I'm well, not you, cured. You know, I, do, I, have, I have a, a, a cruder way of saying it sometimes. I'm like, you can't shit a shitter. You know, it's like, you know, I'm always, I'm always looking for truth. I'm always looking for truth in everything. So when you come to me with something, I, usually I, can, I can smell it miles away. Right, and and the whole thing is 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 to help the person or help me help help. I try and help myself to find out what's the lie, mm -hmm. because you see, evil gets rooted in the lie. Mm -hmm. In fact, Rabbi Heschel says, indifference to the sublime wonder of living is the root of evil. Like Think about this. Yeah, oh yeah, all the shit everybody takes to granted mm -hmm. for granted. The fact that, that people, it takes a super moon for people to even notice the moon. Right, to go, out, go outside, look at it. Right. Right. So, you know, a great miracle happened today. Did, did you see the miracle? Yeah. The sun came up. Yeah, there you go. Our eyes opened. Right. I, think I, I have a gratitude journal. I write that every, I mean, all the time. I'm always writing stuff down. I'm just like, I'm awake. That's good. Right. So in, in, in Judaism, the prayer we, we say upon awakening is, I'm grateful to you, O living and eternal king, for restoring my soul to me with compassion. Great is your faithfulness. I like that. So I start with gratitude. Mm -hmm. I realize that it's a blessing that I'm here. Mm -hmm. I've been dealt with compassionately, so I have to be compassionate. God stayed faithful to me. I'm obligated. To be faithful to God. Like now, that. I don't know if you know this, but in the first five books of the Bible, mm -hmm. 36 times it says, take care of the stranger, the widow, the poor, oh, and the orphan. No. What do you think God's main thing is? Is God worried about spirituality? 
He's got worried about where the temple is. Right. God's worried about how you're treating you each other. You take care of each other. Right. That's it. Take care of each other. So how do you take care of the widow, the stranger, the poor, and the orphan inside of you, too? I like that. Oh, God, I like that. You show yourself compassion. Right. I like that. So how are you doing it? I do it all the time. I forgive myself for stuff. I accept stuff for myself. I mean, I look, my, I look inside myself all the time at a regular basis. So I, it's taken me, it took me 40 years to get there. But the last eight have been wonderful. You're blessed. It only took you 40. Right, no, right. That was right, no, right. You got okay, I could talk to you forever. You have to come back again. Anytime you want me. You have to come back again. I mean, like, seriously, I could talk to you forever. Um, we have a couple of minutes. I always ask my guests the same two questions. So quickly, if you can think of these two answers. I don't, I don't, as you guys know at home, I don't prep them ahead of time. I believe in language. And you've changed my language today, which I'm appreciative of. What word do you think we should take out of our vocabularies or out of our mouths and never say again? Word or phrase? Do a phrase. You have either one. Same shit, different day. That's why you just said you didn't like that. That's right. And what do you think we should say more of? We may not be saying enough these days. Hello. Oh, I like that. That's a first for my show. Okay. Think of how often we walk by people. I walk down the street, I say hello to people. Over 50% of them ignore me. I'm sure. Especially in California. And sure. No, every place. Every place. And the other 50%, only half of them respond. Can I tell you a quick story about this? Yes, throw you a quick, you can a quick one. Yes. My brother, uh, my oldest brother died from complications of multiple sclerosis. Oh, okay. He used to sit outside the old home in Cleveland and smoke, and he would say hello to everybody. Now, they're going to visit people in the old home. How funny. People wouldn't say hello to him. One day I'm there, and a guy just looks at him kind of funny and keeps walking. I follow the guy in, and I say to him, that's my brother. Because he's in a wheelchair, you can't even acknowledge him. I mean, I'm starting to go off. The guy says, would you introduce me? I introduced him. My brother died about a year later. This guy comes up. My other brother and I were, my brother Neil and I were doing the funeral. Yeah. We're both rabbis. And, and this guy comes up. He said, I, I, I don't know if you remember me. I said, I'm sorry, I don't. He said, you remember the guy that you yelled at for not <laughs> saying hello to your brother? And my brother Neil's like, oh, no, he did it again. <laughs> and, and I said, yeah, I'm sorry. He says, don't be sorry. He said, I started to say hello. Every time I came home, I actually said hello and cared about what my family said. Oh, my God. He said, at work, I walked to every one of my employees and I started to say hello to them. My business got better. Now I walk down the street saying hello to everybody just like your brother did. And people look at me just as crazy as I looked at him. <laughs> I love it. That's a great story. You paid it forward. Tried to. Finding Recovery in Yourself in Torah. That's the book. It's a really cool book, too. You can put it in your bag, your purse. You can put it in your backpack. Easy to carry around. Very lightweight. Nice and slick. It's good. With some good stuff inside. Rabbi Mark, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. It's been my honor. It's I'll my, come back anytime. We're gonna work, I'm going to work it out because you seriously have to come back. Um, and he's, at, he's on Twitter at Rabbi underscore Mark. Uh, again, Thank you so much for watching my show this past year or so that I've been doing this for. We're going on a fall finale back on June, June, January 3rd, Tuesday. It's after the first of the year, 2017. I love you guys very much, and I'll see you guys next time. 
from producers Maria Menunos, Dario Kristen, Tiana Hobson, Kevin Undergaro, and the entire BHL crew, we would like to thank you for supporting Black Hollywood Live, the first online broadcast network dedicated to African-American entertainment. For questions and comments, contact us at info at blackhollywoodlive.com. Like us on Facebook, tweet us, or Instagram us at BHL Online. And I'm your BHL announcer, Scipio. Instagram me at Planet Scipio. Thank you for tuning in. The views expressed here are those of the host owner and do not necessarily reflect the views of BHL or its owners or principals.